Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining me today is TK Gore, digital executive and a media consultant, as well as a day job at Comscore, one of the leading companies in the world on measurement. Uh, TK and I go way back and love to jam about all things content. TK, welcome to the show. Really appreciate to be here. Super excited. Congrats on the launch of your podcast. I feel like it's been, uh, you've been talking about this for a couple of years and super proud that we're here and I'm sitting in your house recording this podcast with you yeah, on a Sunday. We're, we're taking it to the next level on the personal side here. So it's great to have you. I mean, we actually kind of crossed paths, but never, our careers crossed paths. We both, uh, you were at NBC Sports Chicago running digital. I was at the predecessor Fox Sportsnet. Um, so the, the intersection of, of kind of where content's going, where it's been in sports is a, is, a, is a likely nexus place for us. And we were just talking before we came on here about kind of the state of, of sports content and would love to get your take on where things are and where you see them going. Yeah. And, and before we start, when you talk about that sort of crossover of careers, and I guess technically, and I'm such a media nerd, I was at Comcast Sportsnet Chicago, then it evolved into NBC Sports Chicago. And then another connection point is how you and I know each other with our good buddy, Dan Shanoff, who you went to Northwestern with, who's one of the uh, experts in sort of digital content, a real uh, futurist, if you will. And he and I had a crossover at AOL, even though I never worked at FanHouse, which was the greenhouse entity uh, back in the day. I did arrive at AOL Sports, and it's kind of funny. That's the connection. Yeah, we're getting old. We've been to a lot of places and a lot of people at this right. point. <laughs> right. We, we are getting old, but as I remind people, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Gen Xer who operates like a millennial because I've been in the digital business. And when you speak of really integrating personal, as I have my eight and 10 year old here in your house somewhere, <laughs> I learned that my 10 year old this week at school announced for good news that he was coming here to your house to check out uh, your game room because his dad was being interviewed for a podcast. And I just found that out on the way over here. So the pressure <laughs> you is better on. better make it good, TK. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, trying to make it good. So where, where do you see things? You know, that we're recording this just at the onset of March Madness in 2020. Um, sports has always been kind of at the forefront of content disruption and where things are going. And it's fair to say that the content business is almost at the same state of chaos as March Madness basketball. But where do you see where we are now, whether it's through your personal lens or a comp score um, and, and what's on the horizon? Chaos, mass chaos. And, and, but chaos that pushes us to innovate and try new things. And, and you're absolutely right. The thing I love about sports and sports media is it's a true incubator where people love to play in the sandbox of sports and people really bring really edgy, innovative. They're willing to try things that maybe they haven't tried in other areas, specifically around events and content. And I am serious about chaos, and it's a great analogy as we're knocking on the door of March Madness right now. You know, when I first started, at least in digital, was still in the 90s, and we talked about, wow, this is the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, it is still the Wild West right now in this, how we've been evolving and what does disruption mean? And media is still ever... Um, it's still so important as it's ever been. And as it's been growing, 
it's really interesting to watch sort of this ebb and flow of making media, bundling it, unbundling it, and getting the people. And we're still, you know, we are in this golden age of content. Like, it's not peak content. It continues to grow because there's so many different platforms and there's so much good content out there that's being made. I think it's just a little bit challenging to go and find it. You know, if you have the hunter-gatherer mentality, you can go get it. But in terms of convenience, it's harder. It's just not turning on the set mm-hmm. and linear TV set that is, and just going and discovering and finding. Well, I want to I want to jump in there for a second because I think you in your day job have an interesting purview, right? You're spending you're spending significant time on linear, right? From what I understand, you can maybe talk about that a little bit, and then you've got a, a you know it's your passion to follow digital media, but you're also consulting in digital media as well, and you've done you've you've We've run a division of a digital media of a, of a media company for NBC Sports Chicago. And and it's almost like it's bifurcated, right? We almost talk about it as if they're two different things, like you're digital. And, and I, I kind of go down that road. I look at things like digital, and I, I get frustrated because I see... I see kind of inefficiencies out there, or I'll see that the human factor. What I mean by that is um, at Teamworks on a day-to-day basis, when we're working with our clients, trying to help them get their brand story to connect with the, the end consumer, you see things like where people have no problem spending nine figures with an ESPN or a traditional linear network, and they put such few resources into connecting with their consumer on a digital front, right? And it's... Mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying it's an either or, you know, obviously the money's going to shift at the rate it's going to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, I think just, and, and sometimes I'm being an ageist here, there's that element of like a, of a large company, pick a large media company. Mm-hmm. That's the way they've sold into agencies. It's been the way the business model is. You've got people running those divisions that have been there for 30 years. And so there's a lot of headwinds in terms of mm-hmm. how things are going to change. And, and for you people that I see, uh, you probably see more of them, step back and look at things in kind of a more integrated approach. And I'm curious what you see from your position. Do you see this bifurcation or this split of you're a linear or a digital, or are you seeing much more integration happening in where? There, there, there's a lot there I, I, I'm going to try to unpack, but let's start with the first part, which kind of hits into my sweet spot of what I've been doing today and my day job at Comscore, which is really, you know, measurement and data. And do I see that bifurcation? Absolutely. And sometimes I'm still amazed in the world that there is still still this separation of linear TV and digital at the agency level and other levels. And I feel like I've been living it in terms of convergence and integration for years. And sometimes I'm amazed when, you know, people and entities don't get it yet, right? And I know for years, Back when I was at AOL, like even in the 90s and early 2000s, it's just you're, it was so fast paced. It was like light speed. And, you know, the saying was, you know, does he or she get it? You, you know, how much do you need to sort of educate or inform someone as you're kind of walking through some sort of deal or partnership or where we're going? Mm-hmm. And we as an industry really have to sometimes, even though we're, we're moving faster than we did in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, to slow things down to explain and educate and inform because it is critical in what we're doing and where we're going. So let's go back to your part about this whole like bifurcation and you know where we are sort of in measurement. So you know, my whole career has been sports media, as you know. We've, we've talked about it a lot. Really, digital media has always been my focus, but I've worked at two separate linear TV 
programming networks. Um, the industry is really changing. And I'm fascinated, you know, in looking at it now through this lens where I now work for a data measurement company. And I, I like to think of it, this analogy and our CEO, uh, Bill Livick, says this all the time. We're in the oil business, right? And so what we do is we go and knock on the door of a cable and satellite operator and we harvest their oil. You know, we license that data, so that oil, if you will. And then what, what do we do? Well, we're a refinery. We bring it into our system and we take out all the bad stuff. Uh, we do some projections and we come up with this great sort of data set, if you will. And we do that with all the heavyweights in the industry. And who do I mean the heavyweights in mm -hmm. the industry? Even though the industry is changing and we're going to this very direct-to-consumer streaming world. Heavyweights like AT&T and DirecTV, Cox, Charter. Charter, who's you know the number one based on subscription uh, cable operator out there. You know, A couple years ago, recently acquired Time Warner Cable. And side note, it's fascinating when I worked in the Comcast NBCU world because I really thought that we were acquiring Time Warner Cable. And that's a whole separate discussion. I worked on a lot of things back then. Uh, we also get data from um, Dish Network. Um, and about a week and a half ago, we made a major, major announcement. I'm proud to say we just cut a deal with Comcast. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you know, we're getting, you know, data from all these folks. And right now, I mean, you could say that we're, the, and no, it's, this is a fact, we're the first and only measurement company to have total coverage of satellite and cable um, households in all 210 local markets. So anyway, so I mean, what does that mean? And I know that sounds like a bit of a uh, PR line, and it is, but, it, but it's a fact. But we go out there and we provide data on who is watching what and when true measurement. When you go back to that oil, we're, we're getting the oil directly. And so how we go out and measure is we measure passively by collecting data from the cable and satellite companies, and it's real viewership data. I mean, it's... We're it's, not talking it, about the old, uh, the old log books from the Nelson Nielsen days back in the day. Yeah, and and I'm I'm going to be careful here, and I'm always politically correct, but I will say that there is another entity out there who's been, you know, collecting data and reporting on it, and it's just a different methodology, and it's based on sampling, and certain households, you know, it's 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 a smaller universe, and sort of how that methodology is in sampling. So then take it back to your point of making decisions at media companies and agencies. Sometimes it's hard to evolve and change because you've been doing things a certain way. So you're making deals on content, you're making deals on advertising or, or spending or selling inventory to go after a certain audience, and you're making it based on old thinking mm -hmm. and old methodologies. Um, and I think there's a better way to go and do it in this world we live in and how we go and collect data and how we, how we analyze it. And yes, you can overwhelm yourself with data and it's like, you know, analysis by paralysis. Well, so let's stay there for a second because yeah. you talked about like a, and I know you can't talk about specific clients, but you talked about like an AT&T, right? And I'll just talk about large media entities like that, right? They've got... Heck, they own Turner now, right? I mean, they own mm -hmm. Warner Media, and you think about all the tentacles, it's enormous, right? And they've also got access on every phone. So mm -hmm. whether you're T-Mobile or AT&T, you've got this linear cable data, and then obviously everyone's got a, uh, you know, the, the current phone is by far the place where money and consumption is continuing to increase at ridiculous rates that we mm -hmm. know about. Help us understand, how, how can people be thinking about 
the continuum of both cable, satellite, television, and and digital together. How does that how does that come together from a, a people trying to analyzing this data and, and how best to reach and connect with people in various audiences? There's a lot there because you're talking about various platforms, uh, whether they're proprietary um, or you know I guess when you look at what we do, you know, we syndicate licensed products out there. Um, and it's challenging because, you know, you're trying to sometimes take apples to oranges in different, either if it's methodologies or different products that you're using. Mm -hmm. I mean, without touting our horn too much, you know, we are doing linear TV measurement in digital because when I look at the history, and by the way, let me take a step back. Like when I started at AOL in the late 90s, it was my first ever career move from a um, traditional programming network. And I certainly um, understood how the business of, of distribution and linear TV was working. Um, but when I worked at AOL, I worked on and, and, and we used a lot of internal proprietary you know, tracking systems and clicks and impressions and things like that. But I also grew up in using you know, media metrics and I was certainly aware of who Comscore was. And I use Comscore a lot because at the end of the day, it always mattered, especially in sports, were you a top 10 website? Right. Were you top five? That meant something. Um, so when I look at it right now, you look at Comscore grew up in the digital space. And then there was a company called RentTrack that grew up in the box office theatrical linear TV space. Mm -hmm. And both of those entities came together in 2016. So we are truly a cross-platform measurement company. The world is so fragmented, it is so hard to go and track audience. But what I know and what I see, and I can't go into all like the details about it, but we are collecting data and we're licensing data from all the various screens and putting it together. And to me, that's something compelling because I think about it when I sat on the other side, working at a programming network or working at a publisher or working at a startup, knowing what are people consuming, why are they consuming it, how do I go and can I monetize it, can I really sell it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we understand we live in a world where people are skipping ads, um, people are putting ad blockers out there. I mean, it's really a complicated world, but I think it pushes you to be even more creative and I think there are still so many opportunities when I talked about this golden age of content where we're in right now that you can go and still, you know, market things and sponsor things and be really smart and savvy about it and I think the data is there. Um, it's certainly available as people are kind of data mining on their own. And certainly, obviously, we're providing a lot of tremendous services out there as well. And I think the other interesting thing right now is, you know, Google and Facebook has just dominated digital. It makes it hard for everyone else. And algorithms change in terms of Facebook feeds and people would live and die by a certain amount of traffic coming in from Facebook. And we, when I was at Comcast Sportsnet, I was running the P&L for digital, and it would, we would talk about all the time playing the volume game, mm -hmm. right? And businesses, really good content businesses, died because they changed the algorithm based on certain things that were going on in the news cycle and politics in the 2016 election, which sucks for those particular companies, but they put too many of their eggs in that basket of going after it. So I think you need to be smart uh, in terms of going out and sort of driving a lot of that, you know, particular traffic to kind of support your business, but also getting a holistic view um, of the audience you're going after. But now, finally, I would say the cable and satellite and the linear TV world is becoming super smart, super savvy in terms of selling their inventory, much like Google and Facebook in terms of targeting. And that's where we spend a lot of time. It's called addressable. 
A lot of people are still learning about it. We've been entrenched give in us, it. Give us the, the 101 on addressable for people. And keep in mind, a lot of the people that are listening to this are probably CMOs or vice presidents sure, of marketing of, sure. it, of it. But it, I think it's an important thing because the baseline understanding and context dummy down for me addressable sure sure I mean the same way that you go and you do targeting in a digital publishing world if you want to go after a certain uh, let's call it audience segment right mm -hmm. and traditionally for years we've basically have sold on you know when you say demographics it basically means age and gender mm -hmm. period stop right we have so much more data out there and you're aware of that I'm aware of that and what a lot of linear TV entities are doing, and we're literally at the epicenter of this right now, is we're helping them develop and go and sort of define audience segments. And what do I mean by an audience segment? I mean, going beyond just age and gender. You know, it's like, how do I, hey, I wanna go and target left-handed plumbers. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Well, we actually have that data, right? And maybe that's a little bit of a, um, a corny segment and right. it's something that uh, my boss and I have talked about all the time, but you can go out and Comscore does this a lot right now. We create a lot of timely segments around whether it was World Cup women's soccer, Olympics, politics, whatever, whatever side of the political spectrum you sit on, um, you know, new moms, you know, the data is out there and we're going out and we're harvesting a lot of this data back to the oil analogy. We bring in that oil uh, and we're the refinery and we work with all all of these sort of cable and satellite companies as they go out and they're talking to brands and advertisers and, and especially the agencies who are working on their half, right? And they have right. to work harder in this day and age. And like, we wanna go after, you know, they're coming to you, Jay, and like, we wanna go target this particular audience. We can go and deliver that right now. And then what we do, Comscore, in terms of this addressable world, we provide accurate measurement, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they're buying it from you and you're a media company, are you gonna report on that? We always talk about, it. you shouldn't be grading your own homework. Right. So the role we play is, we offer third-party trusted verification mm -hmm. and we deliver what are the measurements around it in terms of impressions do you want to go a step further you know attribution did this person take an action because they you know saw this particular spot or dot or impression or whatever it is and then you can get into there's addressable and then there's also this whole world of called under addressable because only so many people can actually receive right. addressable ads so as you go and deliver those addressable ads then you have Inventory and, and underneath. Question, how, how does addressable get served? When you say serving addressable ads, how does that, not from a technical standpoint, from a layman's term, what does that mean? Basically, when you go and sort of, you know, you look at the, the MVPD or what we used to call the cable MSO world in terms of, you mm -hmm. know, connected TVs and subscribers, think about the set-top box universe that still exists and there's a lot of smart mm -hmm. TVs in there. The cable companies have built better platforms, mm -hmm. right? I know when I worked at NBC and Comcast, I mean, X1 is just an outstanding platform. They're integrating a lot of things in there, but they're collecting data. They know your viewership right. habits and, and other things. Uh, and they obviously- So that's addressable is like I have, we have uh, Xfinity here, right, in this house. And so addressable is they know my consumption habits, they know I'm a Northwestern sports freak, and so that data has become much richer of which Comscore is able to work with those partners to extract that data. And, and, and so those, you know, the, the Comcast of the world have their own first party data, so they know certain things about your household, mm -hmm. consumption, habits, in terms of video, uh, also abiding by privacy, which right, we haven't right. talked about, or, you know, right. CCPA and what they've done in the state of California. So. 
everyone is very protective of um, you know um, privacy and personally uh, identifiable information PII. Mm -hmm. Then they come to Comscore, who can help them um, measure such things. But yeah, a lot of the cable and satellite companies today can go out there and serve addressable to a certain audience um, based on a lot of the, the new tech that they're building, which is now they're kind of starting to finally catch up to what's been going on with digital. Um, and it's just fascinating to kind of watch that right now um, because they're, they're, they're finally, I, I believe, starting to make some inroads in, in terms of this particular specialized targeting, much like I go back to digital with how Facebook and Google have just absolutely dominated. It's interesting. One thing we're seeing with our clients as it relates to engagement, right, which has kind of become the holy grail of how good is your content? Well, how many people are engaging with it, right? And, and views are becoming much less valuable because there's a BS factor to it and people mm -hmm. are kind of onto it, right? Three seconds on Facebook counts as a view. You can't get it out of your scroll. So length of time, but more engagement, like sharing, right? That there's mm -hmm. a pecking order of that. It, so we're seeing that. We're even seeing our conversations get much richer around in level of engagement over scale. Um, scale still is always part of the conversation. But I'm curious for you, because you mentioned it before, in even three years ago, Comscore was the holy grail, being in the top 10. I can't tell the amount of decks I've seen or presentations mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, we're Comscore number seven, and they're calling out mm -hmm. your third-party verification and where they rank, and it was usually around you know, website traffic. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious um, your take on websites, because to your millennial side, right, the the concept for someone under the age of 25 actually going to a website on a on a phone mm -hmm. is right it's just kind of it's not even a thought pattern for them so i'm curious yeah. you're out speaking to a ton of media executives at, at various levels and then some of the behemoths out there and advising them where do you see consumption on whether on platform and where do you see the website in the current if you look at through content consumption, yeah, it's it's interesting. I thought a lot about this, especially when when I was at Comcast and NBC Universal, and and my role there was I was overseeing basically the digital department or, or the P and L of the um, the digital business for uh, the Chicago regional, right? And so it's funny, like I will show my age, like I still go to I still go to a homepage right now mm -hmm. in the web, and I love going to the New York Times or Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. um, or ESPN or wherever and just discovering. Like I still do that, mm -hmm. and I know I'm completely showing my age, but that's the way I've kind of grown up in this space, you know, for for our generation who did not grow up with the internet and digital you know, um, through our college years. If you mm -hmm. want to, it was just maybe starting out. Mm -hmm. um, but so I, I still believe in discovery, but how are people finding content today? It's getting pushed to them, right? right? Through push alerts, through SMS, which is great if you're an entity that someone wants to subscribe to and raise your hand and kind of opt in. That's extremely valuable. They, they, they care about you. I was thinking about this the other day, or I even think I wrote a tweet about it. And actually, I'll, I'll not, not to be a plug, but in, in, to be genuine, um, a gentleman out there, you know, John Wall Street Sports, who I've gotten to know through our good buddy Joe Favrito, mm -hmm. you know, who decided, like, I see a need in the space for sports and finance information. It's this convergence. And he picked that lane, 
and man, he owns it. He now has a deal like with SI, but my point with him is he sends out a daily e-newsletter Monday through Friday, and I made the comment that I really enjoy that content because I look at it like an e-newsletter is like a friend, and I want a relationship with a friend, and when I see that in my inbox with other e-newsletters I get, I feel like it's, you know, a friend is reaching out and it's going to inform me and tell me something. I'm going to learn something and I learn something all the time from John Wall Street Sports. But my point is that more people are finding content because it's getting pushed to them because they opted in or they're obviously going through, and we know this, through social media platforms and channels and people are pushing things out. And we talked about this a lot mm -hmm. and I was educating a lot of the people at Comcast that traffic comes in through side doors. You know, there was that Facebook side door that became a big front door for a lot of traffic, right? Mm -hmm. But that traffic has slowly disappeared. So you have to work harder to go and get that. And before I started going down in um, the rabbit hole of, of comm score and data measurement and being this whole oil refinery, you made another interesting comment about this um, or a question of this bifurcation, right? And I was actually having a discussion with somebody about media last night, like a, a known, if you will, mm -hmm. personality at a youth sports event, you know, when we have these like sidebar and, mm -hmm. you know, industry conversations at our kids' sports events. Um, and I was thinking like back when newspapers were launching their websites as a companion. I mean, I'll give you an example right now, which I still think back and scratch my head, right? And I subscribed to the Journal, New York Times. I also subscribed to Washington Post. I lived in D.C. for 24 mm -hmm. years. I grew up at the Post. I aspired to write for the Washington Post. And I was like, how do I get in writing on high schools? And th th this is that's gonna be my career. My point is when they figured out and started to launch their site, the Washington Post is headquartered there, you know, um, and they've moved now since then, but their iconic, you know, location around the 15th street, um, that's where the paper was, if you will. Mm -hmm. When they launched WashingtonPost.com, it was in Arlington in like Roslyn, Virginia, in a separate building. And that basically right there just tells you everything you need to know about where the newspaper industry was in terms of viewing the web. They were literally separate entities. When you talk about trying to knock down walls, there you go. And I also know that because so many smart people came out of the Washington Post, but WashingtonPost.com, who I got a chance to work from and learn from early on at AOL, people like Jason Sykin and a bunch of folks out there. Um, and it's amazing. And now you think about it, they certainly have got it. And you think about the Washington Post right now, they're one of the few entities out there because of you know Bezos and, and, and the smart team he put in place there, they're, they're really sort of pushing the envelope, driving quality con uh, content, they're driving subscriptions, and to the point that they've gone out and they've created a ARC publishing platform, yeah. when now they're licensing that, and that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, tech right. Platform, yeah. So when we go and talk about it here, I know I'm gonna get like, this is a bit of a passion of mine, like people who get it. So I got brought into Comcast Sportsnet because ESPNChicago.com launched. Mm -hmm. And Comcast executives were worried that ESPN, the worldwide leader, was gonna come into every backyard of every Comcast regional sports network and start making noise and maybe going after rights, regional mm -hmm. rights. And ESPN never got into the, the RSN business. You know, I can pause there and chuckle for a second because obviously when you know <laughs> Disney acquired the Fox assets, they did get the RSNs and immediately right. had to spin them off. But I know that, I know for a fact, ESPN always wanted to get in the RSN business way back when. I would say not right now, right. for obvious reasons. But when I got the Comcast Sportsnet Chicago, I was amazed and maybe I didn't give it as much thought as possible. I thought it was gonna be harder to go and create original content in a joint venture where the teams, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the Cubs and the White Sox own the network where we're gonna to have to actually be publishing words about teams. It's one thing to go on pre and post game and maybe offer some analysis, dare you know, be critical of a particular team because the idea of an RSN 
is to promote the teams and sell tickets and sell interest. And, and when teams are winning, right. things are great. When teams are losing, it becomes harder. And the you editorial have to, is really restrained. Yeah, it's, and it's I and unique when so, you've got the owners owning the distribution. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a communism play going on. Yeah, I, and I would I would basically be scared shitless that the phone's going <laughs> to ring and it's going to be Jerry Reinsdorf or yeah. Rocky Words and how yeah. dare you write that about my team, right? right? And I assure the GM at the time, Jim Corno Sr., uh, rest in peace, what a great mentor. We lost him too early in this business. When I started there, he shook my hand. He's like, just remember, Tiki, work for the teams first, Comcast second. He's like, this is what I told Steve Burke. Steve Burke is aware. I'm like, I get it. I get the model. Yeah. And he's like, you're not going to create a newspaper here. I'm like, no, sir. You know, with him as always, no, sir, yes, sir, right? right? So anyways, the hardest thing about that job, and he, he, I learned so much from him. He could be hard on you. But I learned so much from him in terms of the relationships he had with the teams. And sports is such a relationship-driven business when you think about rights negotiation and properties and things like that. The hardest thing was actually getting full buy-in from the network on what we're doing in terms of digital. Because a lot of people drew the line because they thought that linear TV was more important, that we shouldn't be spending resources. You know, it's, it's all about, it, can you imagine this? We get some information or news that we want to maybe try to break or put out there, and there was actually conversations that would happen saying, well, we should hold this and, and take that piece of news or content and, and release that in our live linear TV show. You know, there were so many days, I just, mm. I wanted to scratch my eyes out, and I sort of, I put myself on other people's shoes. I certainly right. understood right. that because they were very siloed in their thinking, and they weren't bad people. I just questioned the decisions because I'm like, we're, we're late to the game. Like, when I got here, or when I got there in 2009, I'm like, no real social media presence, no no app, no SMS strategy, no content strategy. We were late to the game and everything. And I'm like, and I've got ESPNChicago.com on my mind. I'm like, okay, don't worry about ESPN. Like they're gonna put links up to all their O&O city sites, mm -hmm. you know, and drive it from the mothership, the homepage, right? If there's a story about Derek Jeter, if you click on it, 100% sure you're going to ESPNNewYork.com. So right. it was brilliant, the hub and spoke model. I'm like, don't worry about that. Let's just do what we do, right? But it was so hard to sell in the digital mindset that people, and I remember the first time I started streaming live Bulls games, I had people showing up in my office saying, dude, you're taking a wrecking ball to our business. Dude, you're taking away money from my plate because I need to be selling linear TV and you're taking, you're taking impressions or you're taking away TV ratings, TV ratings based on old sampling and methodologies that right. everyone had to use. Right. And I'm like, we're so late to the game, we have to stream. And we were stream, by the way, we we're the second RSN, I'm proud to say, to stream live NBA games. The process was just unbelievable. We worked with a company out in Tel Aviv of all places. Um, took me back to my AOL days because we had a, uh, an AIM service globally called ICQ that was based in Tel Aviv. Um, so anyways, we started streaming games. This was like, you know, Bulls were what, 2010? They weren't that 2011 team. But, you know, we did nine games, Derek Rose was there, but it was the mindset my point is it that's was so that's, hard, yeah, that's so the, hard. I think back to that. I mean, look, you covered a team, and when I was there, um, you're covering a team where the owner, from a television perspective, did not allow Wurtz, old man Wurtz, did not allow Blackhawks games to be televised because he thought there were finite fans and he wanted them in the stadium to buy tickets, right? So there's, it's not a new phenomenon kind of yeah, like resistant yeah. change. Look at Napster, look at... Look at Spotify, right? Right. You're stealing radio market share, and the, right. art, the model will never work. And so, you know, and I think that's kind of my point. And you know, in the interest of time, as we wind down here, I think I'd be curious. To, you have such insight into all these different, based on your 
large company, large media companies, small media companies, digital media publishing, linear. If if you are standing up right now in front of a uh, hundred CMOs or vice presidents of marketing, right, who are thinking about what's next and what's coming as it relates to kind mm-hmm. of the content studio, right? About taking your brand and trying to, your Allstate or your Home Depot, and you're trying to better connect with the college football fan. I always use that example. We're not, we say, we're not trying to get you to not spend money with an ESPN or, or Fox or who spends money with college football. You've already identified that. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to more deeply and richly make your college football fans' lives better directly, direct to consumer? What would be some of the either best practices or mentalities you would talk about about these brands um, that are actually in the content making business now that are trying to get to their, their end consumer? What should they be thinking about right now? You know, I mean, when you first say Home Depot, you know, obviously I think about college football and I think about ESPN game day, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just been such a winning formula, but it's also a winning formula because ESPN invests heavily into that show for years and they decided to take it on the road and it becomes like this traveling circus in all these college towns and you just have college footballs like no other with the rabid fan base and how you know Home Depot has kind of woven their brand and, and kind of what they build mm-hmm. you know and I've been, I've been around the set enough times not like through some credential but just as a fan that I might be privy to or fortunate to go to some big college football game so your question I mean it's interesting because as brands and brands obviously have been starting to think of themselves as more of a media entity because they're they are just beyond a product or service, and they're out there, you know, hammering it out with other people trying to make noise. And I think as they, I would say, continue to double down on content, but not just content for the sake of content, but think about stories, right? And and, and really work hard to develop quality content, whatever that genre is. But obviously, it has to sort of fit into sort of what they're core beliefs are, their mission statement, and and have some fun with it, and then figure out a way to go and maybe distribute that with media companies, publishers that's kind of woven in with them, or go to the, the media company, their publisher, and kind of brainstorm with them, you know, and be more willing and kind of, kind of open. Because you're also seeing the shift right now where, you know, a lot of brands are taking in-house agency, in-house capabilities, or, or excuse me, the agency capabilities mm-hmm. in-house. Yep. And I mean, that comes down to like, I would say a build or buy thing that we think about too in the content world. How expensive is it to go and build and do that versus me just going out and buying? And not everyone has the deep pockets to go out and buy something. Right. But that certainly does happen. So if you're a brand, you really need to think about, you know, what as simply like taking a step back, what are you trying to accomplish? Who is that, if you will, target demo? How to go reach them and what's the best way to go do it? So, I mean, obviously these conversations have happened for generations, but in terms of this now where we are, I mean, it is such direct-to-consumer, right? Yeah. And for everyone fighting it out right now, how do we reach the younger you know, you know, generation and that audience because their heads are down in smartphones? Um, I mean, I'll give you the best example. And I was having this discussion in my kitchen with my wife, and you know, sometimes she's like, don't look at our kids. Like, is this you know, focus group? And I'm like, I'll try not to. But I look at how the lens that they view content in. You know, I've got a 12, a 10, and an 8-year-old. Um, and I told my 10-year-old, who's very savvy with tech, and I was like, don't you understand? I'm like, when I was a kid, there were there were three channels, three networks, and that's it. And his, like, his quick wit response was, he's like, I don't watch channels. What's a network? And I think he was being serious because yeah. he looks at everything. It's instant gratification. Mm-hmm. It's on demand. He doesn't think live or VOD. 
he just he knows what he wants and he goes and he gets it. And so if you're a brand, as these kids become of age with spending power and making decisions, how are you reaching them and how are you connecting with them? Yeah. And that like whoever can figure that out right now today can just start printing money. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, good. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one last segment sure. with you here. New segment. I know you are an avid reader, and how many books did you read? Would you do a hundred book challenge or something crazy oh, like that goodness. in a year? No, it's not a hundred book challenge. 50, what was it? What was the so every year I try to read fifty books. Fifty, okay. Fifty books. So I'm going to call this. We're going to make it up right now. Top of the bookshelf. Top of the bookshelf. What's on? What's on TK? Course, you know, top of the my book right stack because yes. I love. Yes. We all like stacks. We talk about tech stacks. Sure. My book stack continues to grow. So you just renamed it. We're gonna go with the book stack. Yeah, go, yeah, and uh, you know, maybe if I play my cards right, I can come back and and, and, and do another appearance on the pod. Just absolutely, like, we have come a back and play cover. some table tennis. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, you kicked I'll, my ass, by the way. You're good. <laughs> You're not allowed here anymore to do that. So. Uh, what? But I say the the most impactful books I've read this year. Uh, the the number one book um, was called The One Thing. And actually credit you because why I read that book was, um, and I've never met him, I know of him, Rich Routman of Minute oh, Media. Minute Media. He mentioned reading that book as being just an eye-opener. And I respect him from afar because I know Rich and Jason Coyle worked together back yeah. in the day with Silver Chalice. And yeah. Another kind of cool tie-in with something Rich that... Rich is having a nice ride, huh? Yeah. He's raised what, $40 million, Oh my goodness. $40 I mean, million valuation for Minute Media. They're doing yeah. okay right now. I would love to go out right now and just kind of like gather and buy websites and mm -hmm. it is still such a neat business and I think if you can cobble together the right sites but I think he's really smart and Digiday just wrote a really nice piece about it but it speaks to like what Vox does with Chorus, what uh, mm -hmm. Washington Post does with Arc Publishing. Minute Media has been smart to say hey we believe content should be made a certain way through a certain CMS and a through a certain tech platform. Why not go out there and license that to people mm -hmm. uh, and, and drive that as some revenue? And they've done a tremendous, tremendous job. And I love all the sites that he's gone out and gathered. But anyways, during that podcast with um, Simon Owens of the business of content, and here's my sidebar thing. I So for those who are actually listening, you're this is checking this, well right now. Yeah, on the rant for, those, the for, the, for those who are listening, I don't know how many minutes we are in here. If you're listening this far, I texted Jay. Uh, and I said, hey, I've got an idea. You should go on Simon Owen's podcast because you're perfect. The business of, of content. And, and Jay introduced me to Simon, not, if you will, face-to-face, -face, but like maybe through a Twitter mention. And we, I've built so many relationships through Twitter. It's crazy, like quality yeah. relationships. So I've been, I've, been, I've been addicted to Simon and his, you know, the business of content. And your response to me was like, great idea, but I'm launching my own podcast. And I was like, way to go. And now here I am on your podcast, which I'm, I'm fortunate. So anyway, so... Rich Routman bragged about the one thing. And literally, yeah. after I heard it and what I know about Rich, I went out right away and I was like tweeting about it this weekend if you follow me and I bought it. Yep. And it was a game changer for me because I've grown up in media and I'm like, I know how to multitask and I know how to juggle and I know how to, I like to think be productive in a distracted world of media. And basically the one thing said, don't ever multitask. It's like, like a four letter word, it's bad. Just focus on one thing, plow through it, accomplish it and move on. Mm -hmm. Right, that was my key takeaway, and there was a bunch of other anecdotal things in there. Tremendous book. Um, if you're interested in betting and sort of the whole DraftKings versus FanDuel, Albert Chen, who was a I think longtime Sports Illustrated writer. Again, I don't know him personally, but I follow him. Billion Dollar Fantasy. I think I read that in one flight. Loved it because I've been wanting to learn more about betting uh, in that business. Um, and then most recently, I would say is um, David Epstein, who wrote the Sports Gene. I just read uh, Range. Shout out to my good buddy, Lake Bluff neighbor, Ryan Duncan, for recommending it. And that was amazing because it talked about how 
He studied successful athletes, artists, musicians, inventors, and scientists. And what he came out with is that, you know, people in this complex and unpredictable world of stuff, generalists are able to make, are able to succeed a little bit more than specialists, which is interesting. And I think hmm. obviously, you know, it's like the old saying, you know, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I think you could be a jack of all trades in, in whatever you do, but you are continuing to master certain specializations. So it's just a really interesting thing in terms of mindset of, you know, being a generalist is a good thing and we all have different specialties. And I think having that general knowledge in whatever that industry is, you can bring some together, some fresh thinking and new ideas that can be impactful as you work with specialists. Awesome, man. My, so good, my go. Goodreads is exploding. You just added three more to the deck. And uh, thanks for coming on, TK. And the one sure. thing, folks listening, TK's an awesome follow on Twitter, at TK Gore, G-O-R-E. So make sure to follow him on Twitter. TK, thanks for doing this. Let's do it again, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.